Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now, it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. (coughs) Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? (coughs) Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they slapped him in the face. Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to him, to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and the officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, We have a law, and according to that law he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? he asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered. You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. 
It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, Take him away! Take him away! Crucify him! Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. Well, it's good to be with you this afternoon as we look at these important uh, words of scripture. I don't know if any of you have seen recently the television program and it's about uh, the four seasons of the Mountain of Morn. Have you, did you see that in BBC television? Oh, well, it's all about Northern Ireland. So maybe that was the reason for my interest. But the mountains of Morn sweep down to the Irish Sea. And there's a little town called Newcastle where the mountains come down to the sea. Keith would know all about that. I remember one occasion, the church I was involved in, we decided to have an evening out and we went to a restaurant in Newcastle. Very nice restaurant. Uh, the service was silver, solid silver cutlery. And it was quite warm, so I took my jacket off, which was quite something for me. I did keep my cat and my tie on, <laughs> and uh, but we had a nice time. And then uh, we were leaving the building, I picked up my coat, and suddenly the manager stepped out, and he said, Excuse me, sir, I think you might have something belonging to us. And I thought I'd picked up, uh, you know, a menu or something. I said, No, I'm sorry, I, I haven't got anything. He said, Would you mind turning your pockets out? And I said, why? He said, sir, would you please turn your pockets out? And I got my jacket, put my hand in my pocket, and there was a solid silver spoon. <laughs> and and you know, I was speechless. All I could do was point at it. Now, for me to be speechless is quite abnormal, I can assure you. But I was trying to process this, that they were saying I stole this cutlery. Now, as it was, it was a setup. The members of my church had arranged it, <laughs> so it would be for at my expense, you know, a, a joke. But I can tell you, I, it was a terrible feeling to be accused of stealing, and especially for a pastor, you know, in those circumstances. I, I just couldn't take it in. But it then made me, made me start to think about what it would be like to be falsely accused of some very serious crime, maybe murder. Or, or, or child molestation, or something of that nature. Just how would you mentally cope with that? And yet all of those things would be nothing in comparison to what the Lord Jesus Christ was be, being accused of. He was being put on trial for blasphemy. For one who was the Son of God to be accused to be blaspheming must have been a horrendous thing that was taking place. And yet it was a setup. It was a travesty of the truth. All the normal rules of evidence were just set aside. The judicial procedures were just manipulated in order uh, to achieve the, the purpose for which they were seeking uh, to have the Lord Jesus Christ condemned. For example, it was known that you didn't try a person at night time under Jewish judicial system, and yet he was tried at night. You couldn't decide, judge a person and condemn them in the same 24 hours because time was needed in order to arrive at a proper conclusion. And you shouldn't in any way physically assault the person who's being accused. They were a ward of court. They were under the protection of the court. And yet his face was slapped in a number of occasions. All of these things, instance after instance, step by step, 
These judicial procedures were ignored and the standards of justice were just set aside. Now, later on, we will see that that's significant. But running through all the various trials which we have about the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a theme that emerges. There's a theme that runs like a river through all the various trials. And it's this thought of the response and reaction of people to the truth. The response and reaction of the people to the truth. And this is sort of crystallized and summarized in verse 37 of chapter 19. Are you a king then, said Pilate. And then the Lord answers, you say I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. And everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Here's the crux of the matter. How did people react to the truth? What did they do with the truth? There's a German theologian and preacher called Helmut Thielicke. And he has a lovely little illustration. He had a little boy, just a toddler. And this little boy loved to pull faces. You know, this sort of thing. Only thing he liked to do it at people. This sort of thing. Well, his father sort of said, you mustn't do that. It's not nice to do that. And he said, you must not do that to people. Now, you know the way a child's mind works. My dad said I mustn't do that to people. He didn't say I mustn't do it. So he used to go to a mirror and pull the faces and do all sorts of things. One day he was doing it and suddenly he stopped. And he stared intently into the mirror. And then he exclaimed, he said, Daddy, that's me. That's me. Before he hadn't recognized his image in the mirror. And suddenly he sees that. Now sometimes when we come to narratives such as these, they seem quite foreign. It's like other people in another period of time and history, in another place. And we might think it's so remote, what relevance has it got to do with us? What meaning has it got to our lives and experience? But the more you look at it, it's almost like a mirror. And after a while, when we see the actions and the attitudes and the behavior and the conduct of these people, suddenly we're brought to the conclusion... That's me. That's the way in which I've acted. That's how I've thought. That's the attitude which I've adopted when it comes to the truth as it is in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's me. And maybe today, as we're looking at this passage or these passages, we'll say, yes, that's me. That's the way I am. Now we're going to look at some of the characters. And first of all, it's this man and the East just uh, called Caiaphas, it was mentioned last week. He is a high priest at that particular time. There's Annas, who was his father-in-law, who had been the previous high priest. So they had made it a family affair. And we have Caiaphas. And how would you describe this man, Caiaphas, when it came to the truth? Here was a man who was refusing to examine the evidence. Here was a man who was refusing to examine the evidence He had already made up his mind about the Lord Jesus Christ. He had already come to a conclusion. And nothing, absolutely nothing, no matter what the evidence was, was going to persuade him otherwise. And that was exactly the case of this man, Caiaphas. If you look at this chapter 19 and verse 19, just going back to it. It says, meanwhile, the high priest, that's Caiaphas, questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. And notice what our Lord how he responds. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I have always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. 
I said nothing in secret. Why question me? And here's the rub. Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what it is. What was going on? But you notice, he didn't ask a single one. The, the evidence was available. The evidence was accessible. The evidence was meaningful. The Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ had taught in crowds in the temple where there would be lots and lots of people, particularly at Passover time. He had openly declared what, what he had said. Now there they are, come and ask him. But you know, Caiaphas refuses to do so. And I'll tell you why. If you look at verse 14 of that 19th chapter, again we get some idea of what's going on in that 18th chapter. Uh, he, he says, Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man had died for the people. Caiaphas has already said that. And that takes us back to chapter 11, where Lazarus had been raised from the dead. And the people were stirred that this mighty miracle had taken place. And they were thinking, the crowds were thronging to him. This could cause complications. This could bring about changes. We might get a reaction from Rome. And Caiaphas even says to the others, you don't know what you're talking about. I know what's necessary here. Necessary for one man to die for the nation. So his mind was made up. And consequently, he would not even examine the evidence. He refused as it were, to seek the truth when it comes to our Lord Jesus Christ. He was determined to ignore the evidence. He was determined, as it were, to go along with our Lord's conviction. And you know something? This is not a unique experience. People refusing to examine the evidence. This isn't something that was just restricted to a person like Caiaphas in that particular era. I remember one occasion being in the... uh, it was a manufacturing establishment that I was waiting in the foyer and I had a book on the Ten Commandments and was reading it. And another gentleman came in and he was an engineer, a highly qualified engineer. And he said to me, what are you reading? I said, a book on the Ten Commandments. He says, you don't believe that rubbish, do you? I said, yes, I do. It's found in the Bible. He said, oh, the Bible's full of discrepancies, contradictions and mistakes, absolutely full. Now it so happened I had a small Bible in my inside pocket and I took it out and handed it to him. I said, show me one. He said, well, I can't think of one just off the top of my head. I said, you said it was full. So surely one is not too much to require, to require of you. I said, just show me one. Well, he said, I can't think. I said, have you ever read the Bible? He said, no, I've never read it. There it was. Never read it. And yet he had come to his conclusions and his conviction. He, he refused to look at the scripture. And yet he had just, as it were, discounted it and dismissed it whatsoever. You find it again and again. Maybe the older folk can remember the sky at night. Remember Patrick Moore? Yeah, oh, I'm glad there's one or two awake today. It's, it all helps. Thank you, sir. Come again. <laughs> but, well, the music was good if the program wasn't. But remember Patrick Moore? And he was asked about belief in God and uh, belief in extraterrestrial life and so forth. He said, I can't believe in God because there's no proof. And then he said, although I have no proof, I'm sure there's life in other places. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? There it is. I can't, no proof. And yet, although I have no proof, I firmly believe it. You see how the mind is. A careful mind. 
It is to do. Bertrand Russell, philosopher and mathematician, proponent of atheism. And he said we can't even be sure if there ever was a, a, a Jesus Christ. Eighteen ancient historians around that particular time referred to Christianity and not one questioned the reality of Christianity. They knew it was a historical fact. And yet Bertrand Russell, 2,000 years later, can say there's no evidence of Jesus Christ. You see, the Caiaphas mind and mentality. It's so easy for us to be like that. Just to dismiss something. Not even to look at the, the evidence. Not even to seek the truth. And yet to come to our conclusions. No, our minds are like parachutes. Did you ever think of that? And parachutes only work if they're open. Do you notice? It doesn't matter how good your parachute is. Can you imagine jumping out of the plane and saying, I have a lovely parachute, but not pulling the cord. The same with us. We must come and look at these things. Don't be like Caiaphas. Look at Christianity. Examine the evidence. And then come to your conclusions, rather than just closing the mind, dismissing the fact, and going on your way. And then someone who isn't mentioned here, but he's part of the narrative really, and that is Herod's. You'll find it in the other Gospels. And then now Herod was a ruler over the northern part of Israel, the part we call Galilee, and into Samaria. And when Pilate heard that Herod was in town, he says, oh great. He said, that's Herod's problem. And he sent the Lord Jesus to Herod's, thinking, well, that's one problem out of the way. And he goes to Herod. But it's an amazing thing, the Lord is standing before Herod, and Herod wanted to see him, and he even wanted to see if he'd perform a miracle. Can you imagine, there's Herod, standing or sitting, and the Lord Jesus standing in front of him. And Herod plies him with question after question. You know what the scripture says? But Jesus gave him no answer. Isn't that amazing? Jesus gave him no answer. Why did the Lord not give Herod an answer? Because Herod had lost his hearing. I don't mean his physical hearing. But his ability to hear truth. Now look how often the Lord even spoke to Caiaphas. In spite of Caiaphas's attitude, he spoke to Pilate. He spoke to the thief on the cross who had ridiculed him. He spoke to those roundabouts. He prayed for them. He would take time speaking to people who had lived the most dissolute lives. And yet in front of Herod, he stands there and says nothing. There are times when silence is not golden. It's just the opposite. I remember preaching Herod some time ago. And I just announced the text. And then I stood up in front of the church. And just stood there. Didn't say a word. And at first people were looking, you know. And then I could see them glancing at each other. And you could see, well, what's going on here? What's happened? Has he lost his voice? Has he lost his mind? And just stood there for a few minutes. And some of the people told me, they said it was the most uncomfortable experience just to see a preacher standing, staring at them. And I can tell you, that's what it was for Herod. I know that's the tragedy here. Herod didn't have another opportunity to hear from Jesus. And what is it telling us? 
We mustn't trifle with the truth. We mustn't take God's truth lightly. Because Herod had heard from John the Baptist. And John had pointed out very clearly what Herod should do. And though Herod heard it, and Herod in a measure understood it, Herod had disregarded it. And there comes a point in time, a tragic point, a sad situation, when possibly the Lord has nothing to say to us. Because we have treated his truth lightly. We have spurned it. We have acted as if it isn't the word and the truth of God. And consequently, Herod experienced that moment. Herod thought with with Christ in front of him, he was judging Christ. The opposite was true. He was the one who had come to testify to the truth, standing in front of him, and he was judging Herod. I have nothing to say to you because you have so disregarded this truth to which I have come to testify. Dear friends, if the Lord has been speaking to us, doesn't matter how young we are, if the Lord has spoken to us about our need of Christ, about our need in some particular area, about some aspect of our lives, today if you hear his voice, let's not harden our hearts. I remember my first day in senior school. I don't know if you remember. And, and I had my nice black blazer and grey uh, shirt and turquoise and green tie and, and all, all the paraphernalia. Now, I'd already taken an exam, and, um, but I didn't know which class I was in. And it was from one to seven in a new in- intake. The very clever ones were in class one, and then it went down to class seven. So I can remember being in the assembly hall with him there. And of course the, the headmaster, it was Mr. Caldwell. He had black, uh, black horn wind, well sort of brownish horn wind glasses, you know, very big. And he had a huge nose. Amazing. Uh, 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 and, and he started to read out the names, alphabetical order, going down, A, B, C, D, coming to Patterson. And he said, Patterson. And my, uh, my eyes, this is class one, my eyes lit up. And he said, Patterson David. And, and, and anyway, so I wasn't in class one. Well, I thought, well, that's not too bad. If you're in class two, you're quite near the top. And so he went all through, all through the list again, A, B, C, class two. And I wasn't in class two. Oh, well, I said, class three's a bit above average, so that's, that's pretty good. Down class three, and I wasn't there. Got to class five, and my brother walked down the corridor, and he looked in, and he knew what was going on. And he looked in the window, and all he went was, Thicky, thicky. <laughs> Class six went. Let's blow me. How can I face the family? I just thought, my dad will string me up. No, nobody in our family has ever been in class seven. And class seven went. And I was the only one left. So then old one. And I said, they had the form of a new class for me. Seven minus. <laughs> Mr. Caldwell, he wore a black gown. And in those days, no headmasters had canes, and he had it inside his jacket. Because he walked down, opened his jacket, and there was the cane, you know. And, and he came. And his nose seemed to get bigger the near, near he came, and his eyes seemed to get larger and larger. And he said, what is your name, boy? <laughs> I could hardly get it out by this point. So a man William Patterson. And he looked at he looked at me and he said, boy, 
what are those things in the side of your head for? And I thought I'd gone, horns had come out or something, you know. I said, they're ears. He said, boy, what are those ears for? I said, hearing, sir. He said, I would advise you that you use those ears in future. Now, you all want to know which classes then, don't you? I'm not telling you. (laughs) But the Bible says, you who have ears to hear, let them hear. There's nothing more wonderful than to hear the voice of the Good Shepherd. There's nothing more glorious for God to speak to us through his word by his spirit. It's a wonderful thing. But there's a great privilege and there's a great responsibility in hearing. And Herod reminds us of a man who had lost his hearing when it came to the word of God. May the Lord deliver us from that. And then there's Pilate. So we've looked at the man who wouldn't examine the evidence, the man who had lost his hearing, and then there's Pilate. And the man who would not face facts, or at least not act upon what he knew. Now there's a picture of Pilate being presented here in the way he was going out. First of all, Pilate is in the judgment hall. And of course the Jews wouldn't enter in there because they thought they would be contaminated and couldn't take part in the Passover. So he goes out and he speaks to them. And then he comes in and he speaks to the Lord Jesus. And then he goes out and he speaks to the people. And then he comes in and speaks to the Lord Jesus. And then he goes out to the people. He's like the Grand Old Duke of York. Up the hill and down the hill. You know, that sort of thing. Here was Pilate. And he's a man who would not face the, the up to the facts. And then going in and out was almost a metaphor, a picture of Pilate's attitude. It wasn't that Pilate didn't know the facts. What was it? He tried to avoid the issue. Now, I know some of you love rugby here. And the modern day rugby player, they don't beat people. They trample on top of them. Have you ever noticed that? They mow them down. I like that. But when, when I was young, just a year or two ago, uh, uh, you know what I said? It used to be you developed a body swerve rather than all this muscle and power. And so the idea was when the person was coming to you at the very last moment, you just swivel your hips and then he'll go past and you go around you. And Pilate had developed a spiritual body swerve. He would acknowledge the truth is coming, but just when it came to have an impact, he just tried to evade. And there, and that is a danger for us. We can somehow develop a capacity to acknowledge the truth and yet avoid the implications. Avoid the consequences. And because we have nodded to it, then we feel we have done all that's necessary. It's not like that. A friend of mine used to go to preach in the Chinese church. And, uh, of course, he would preach and, and there was a translator into Cantonese. And um, after the service, uh, a gentleman came up to him. He said, he said, the problem with you British Christians is you read the Bible the wrong way. When you come to the Bible, you read the wrong way. He said, when you have the Bible, you read it from left to right. Our Bible, the characters go up and down. We read the Bible this way. You read it this way. I hope you get the point. Yes, it's possible to read the words 
And yet in our hearts, in our minds, in our wills. It's like this. And that was the case with Pontius Pilate. This particular uh, situation which he found himself and you know, so all the way he was trying to avoid the issue. You know, he says to Bill, I'm not a Jew. As if that's case closed. That's what he was doing, wasn't it? That's nothing to do with it. I'm not a Jew. And it's amazing the number of people take that view when it comes to the truth of the gospel. You go to speak to them, not to say, I'm not religious. As if the case is closed. It doesn't matter whether we're religious or otherwise. It's the truth we're dealing with. It's the truth we're dealing with. But it's a way of just dismissing it. I used to travel in the train quite regularly to London. And in the morning there were the, you know, different men. Most of them were business people who were going down at, at that particular time. And they'd all be talking and, and saying what And then they'd suddenly say to me, and what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a pastor. I'm a preacher of the gospel. I've never known people have such a thirst for coffee instantaneously. <laughs> they all seem to have to go for coffee at that moment. See, trying to evade hearing and facing up to the truth. And so easy for that mentality. And people try 101 things. I, I, I remember a chap and he, he said this. He said, look, I've lived without God all my life and I'm not going to, at the, near the end of my life, I'm not going to start believing in him now. And that was his reasoning. I, I think he did the lottery. So I was saying have you ever won anything in the lottery? He said, no, never. I said, if you win, supposedly you won't take the winnings. Because after all, you haven't won up until now. Why take the winnings? I said, you're a man who's enjoyed good health, but now you've got, you've got ill health. Did you say to the doctor, I've had good health and I haven't used the doctor all my life. I'm not going to use the doctor now. No. It's ridiculous. But that's the way people do, to try and avoid what it means. What it means uh, uh, when it comes to the truth of our Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ. You see, Pilate was thinking he was frightened of what the Jews might say. He was th- th- frightened of what uh, Pilate had to say. And so he thought if he could av- avoid this relationship with Jesus Christ or, or setting him free or doing the right thing by the truth, th- then he wouldn't have these problems. I was just thinking. <coughs> Little did he know what faced him. In a few short years, he was sacked from his job as the governor. He was called back to Rome, banished to a place in France and died as a suicide. It was a very costly thing they did. And we might think it's hard to come and face the truth and apply the truth. And oftentimes it can be. But I tell you, in so doing, we pay a far, far greater price than anything that might cost us or any consequences that we might have in the short term. And not only that, but we miss the blessing of knowing what it is to have the Lord Jesus Christ as our Saviour, our Shepherd, our King, our Master, and have that wonderful thought of eternity with Him and all who love Him. Oh, we mustn't be a pilot. 
A man who would not face up to the facts. Yes, he knew. Three times he said, I can find no fault in him. Herod had found no fault in him and sent the message to Pilate. His wife had said, have nothing to do with this righteous man. The evidence was there and he knew it. But the only thing was, he wouldn't act upon it. Dear friends, have we acknowledged the truth as it is in Jesus? But not only acknowledged it, but accepted what it means to receive that truth. And to recognize that he is not just the king of the Jews, but the king of kings and lord of lords. And tell it, say to him, Lord, you're king of my life. I just want to crown you now as such. <coughs> Don't be like Caiaphas, the man who refused to examine evidence. Don't be like Herod, the man who had lost his hearing. Don't be like Pilate, the man who wouldn't face up to the facts. But by God's grace, be what these men were not. And become what these could never be as followers of our Lord Jesus Christ.